couple of years since we've had the opportunity to come back and share. Uh, I think uh, we've had several, well, we've had several changes in the ministry since then. I know it uh, kind of seems like a constant state of change as we adapt and try to uh, best meet the needs of those that don't have scripture. Last time I was here, I talked about uh, being involved in working uh, to develop and to implement print-on-demand systems where the nationals that had printed their, uh, or where Bible had been translated, the nationals could then print out their own scriptures and distribute it among their, their people. Uh, since then, uh, I've uh, also been involved in MAST, which is Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation. It's a new methodology that uh, we've developed to speed the pace of Bible translation. It's really... Uh, Eight simple steps. I mean, it uh, consists of consume, uh, verbalize, blind draft, self-check, peer check, keyword check, verse-by-verse check. I mean, I say simple, but I can get into more of that at a different time. But what it's done is it has enabled us to empower 
the national churches to do their own Bible translations. And this has been phenomenal. I mean, it's great when I come up here and I say, we've got an aggressive plan. But if that aggressive plan doesn't do go anywhere, it's not worth anything. Well, what we've, in, in developing this, we have, again, empowered the local church. And we've seen phenomenal results. In fact, in one translation setting in India, we had 126 translators come. We set them up in two-person groups. And they were able to translate the entire New Testament in two and a half weeks. Now, this is just a first draft, but nothing like this has ever been done before in history. And we're also taking steps to find out, okay, do, you know, wh what does that translation look like as a first draft? Is it comparable to, you know, a mainstream Bible we use here in the U.S.? Or, but, and I say that because we, we have other checking steps in place to ensure that we're, we're doing accurate translations. We have a level two check and a level three check that involves pastors, theologians, uh, Bible scholars, linguists, all of that stuff. But what we're running into is in many of these small language groups, they don't have those resources. And if they don't have those resources, then we have to bring other folks in from the outside and their backlog for checking scripture is about seven years. So uh, I, I got off on a little tangent there. I'm happy to talk to you about you know, how that works, how you can help us do these checks and, and things like that if you'd like. Um, but I mean, Again, marking the, the progress on this, uh, over the last two years since Mass has been released, we have been able to start over 300 new Bible translations. Uh, about 75 of those are complete. Uh, Tammy and I personally have been involved in 31 of those. And my area is just a little bit different because I'm not sure how or why God chose to put me in that position because I certainly am not qualified. But I have been put into the position of oral global oral translation coordinator. So I work with the languages that don't have any written, any, any written language. And we do it all orally and with audio. Now, uh, with those 30 different translations that we've helped, I've been involved in, that's had an impact on about 60 million people. I mean, those are people, not that they've come to know Christ, but it opens the door for them to be able to read God's word in their own language. In one language group alone in India, there were 26 million speakers. So we're having some impact. We're also measuring, okay, there's another measure to translation. That's the, the measure of changed lives. We're in the process of assessing you know, how much of a change this is having within these countries. Well, we do know that in a lot of the closed countries, because they now have the Word of God, underground church plants are exploding. Now, <clears throat> this morning what I want to do is provide you with testimony. And I witness testimony to thirst and hunger for God's Word. Also testimony to the price that these folks are willing to pay in order to have God's word translated in their language.
Payment is high. The price is high. But I want to start that by reading scripture. For the backdrop, I'm going to, uh, if you'd like, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. For the things I'm going to be talking about, I think this provides the perfect backdrop. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was accommodated as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she conceived from him, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he, he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith. Starting to get to theme here. By faith. Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship, worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. <coughs> Excuse me. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jabath, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the malice of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty, war, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sold in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and all of these, though commendated for, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Heroes of the faith. I've been privileged to have been put in a, in a position where I could learn about faith in a very unique way. <clears throat> God's put men and women in my life, in my path, 
that were cut from the same cloth as these people I just read about. Men and women that have shown me what it truly means to live out their faith. The last time I was here, I, was, I believe I talked about uh, the trip I was getting ready to go on in the Middle East. And when I first, when I begin to think about that, the first memory that pops in my mind is sitting on a plane on the, on the tarmac. And it's thinking back to what a guy I can only call by the name of Henry said. He said, Doug, here, they don't take us to jail. We don't go to prison. We just disappear. And he said, guys like you, well, they take you up north and they use you as political pawns. You know, I'd gone there to train them in, uh, with the POD systems and in the mass methodology. Things went really well the first three days. But after that, things kind of went into a tailspin. If you would, picture this. Eight o'clock in the morning, 110 degrees. The streets are narrow two lanes with about an 18-inch sidewalk on each side. And on both sides of the street, stone walls, about 12 to 18 foot tall. Well, you know, each day we thought we'd done everything right. We had gone from one safe house to the next, taking a different route every day. We made sure we didn't talk in the taxi cabs because we know those guys sell information to ISIS and secret police and, and the different groups over there. <coughs> and on this third day, we stepped out of that taxi cab into the 110 degree heat, and man, he just bolted. He didn't wait on a tip, nothing. He just took off. And right behind him came this big black or big white SUV with all blacked out windows. And he stopped right next to me, about from the same distance as, distances from me to the pulpit, and he just sat there. You know, first I'm looking for any rock I could to crawl under, but there wasn't anything, just those walls. And I'm thinking, okay, this is where the guys with the guns get out, and... I don't know why, but then suddenly he just kind of took off and went down the street about a block and a half around the corner, and he parked in the mosque parking lot. And about this time, Henry came, and he opened the gate and allowed us to come through the gate and into the courtyard behind the wall. We went upstairs where we'd been doing the training. I took Henry to the window, and I pointed the vehicle out down the street. He said, okay, we've got to get this place cleaned up now. Because, see, we'd been doing Bible translation there. We'd been using the print-on-demand system to, to print what they had, had translated for checking, and stuff was just everywhere. So we began cramming things in the attic and cramming them under the beds and cram, cramming them in the closets, any place we could just to get it out of sight. 
About 15 minutes later, I went back over to the window and looked out. And now there are nine vehicles in this Moss parking lot. And I pointed that out to Henry, and he says, you guys have got to get out of here right now. He took us out the back door and wound us down in those little alleyways, narrow alleyways like you see in all the movies, and tucked us in a cat, taxi cab and sent us off to a, a, a really public place. We hadn't been there very long, and I got a phone call from Henry on my cell. He said, I got all the guys out. See, we had several guys there from all over the Middle East who had been training. He got them to safety. He said, my wife and my kids didn't make it. They've got them. Well, I caught a plane out of there later that afternoon, just kind of scooted out under the radar. And when I got to D.C., I had a text from Henry. He said, my wife and my kids are okay. They let them go. I texted back to Henry. I says, Henry, I am so sorry that I left you behind. I couldn't bring you with me. He said, Doug, you just don't get it. It's my privilege to be able to stay here and serve God. It's better to die in his service than it would be to die in the street like a dog. Several months later, I was doing more translation in Ethiopia or working with more churches in Ethiopia to translate their word. We were working with about nine different languages. We tried to do multiple languages at the same time. Things were going really well. But you know, Satan, he's got all kinds of ways to throw you off your game, to distract you. And this time, it was an email I got from Wycliffe Associates. Started off with, our brothers in Pakistan have fallen. They said, did ISIS, not ISIS, what was the other group? Taliban. Taliban had kicked in the door to their house shot men, women, and children. Then they proceeded to go upstairs where the translation was in progress. And they unloaded their guns. And when they ran out of ammunition, they beat my friends to death with the butt of their guns. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured even the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to tell you something about what's come of these martyrs. It's reinvigorated the church there in Pakistan. They are more on fire now than ever before. Since then, they took, they've taken on 24 new translation projects. You know, Christians, when they're out there doing this kind of thing, they don't do it because of their own courage. They're only able to do the impossible because they trust God. They have an unshakable faith. You know, I often wonder if I was faced with the same thing, how would I respond? Would I lean on God to give me the strength and the courage to do what they're doing there, only here at home? Would I be bold enough to speak out in Christ's name to share the hope that I have? I don't know. I hope so. But I don't think any of us can truly answer that question until we're faced with it. You know, we all have lists of people we know that are suffering of cancer. They're passing away. They've got all, we deal with all kinds of sickness. We look around at the news and our country's sick. But we shouldn't be surprised. We were warned. We knew that this stuff was coming. But I would encourage us all to be bold. To trust God. He has a plan. Tough times are coming. I don't know why God chooses me to do the things I do. I certainly don't deserve to. I don't know why God does a lot of the things he does, but I do know that he's faithful. As I appreciate you to coming this morning and having us and, and walking with us all this way. We can't do it without you. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement. Many times we need your help. Thank you.